0: morning scripture reading comes from the book of genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 24. the following message is from and benediction from church, church in Christian hamilton ontario now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the lord god had made he said to the woman did god really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden the woman said to the serpent we may eat from We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. Uh, She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man uh, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. And so the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, You are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, Because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living... The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and He clothed them. The Lord God said, "Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever." So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground uh, from which he was taken. He drove the man out to uh, he drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirlwind whirling sword east of the garden of eden to guard the way to the tree of life this is the word of the lord listen i don't know if you could think of a time when you were busted doing something totally wrong Um, i can name a few times in my life um uh, one that comes immediately to mind was uh, it happened a long time ago. Heather and I uh, were married. We were newlyweds, and we had just helped plant a church. And I was the worship leader. I was involved in all kinds of ways, but uh, as the worship leader, I could would re- gather the the volunteer uh, musicians, and we would have I would organize our band practices, and and uh, we had a violinist on the team, and she was excellent. Um, but she always needed a ride to practice. She was never ready on time. And I was about 24 years old. Uh, she was, uh, I think she was about 20, 21. Um, and I was constantly reprinting music for her. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I kind of was tired of it. I, I, and so I, I sort of thought I'd, I'd teach her a lesson. So I decided to send her this email. Um, and it, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was overtly mean or insulting, but there was a tone. You know what i'm saying there was like there was a tone to this email it was kind of passive aggressive uh, like you know i am really busy but i don't mind helping people out who appreciate it and uh when she got it she was hurt like it 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 cut and uh, she showed it to her parents her parents passed it around the church uh it eventually made its way to the pastor he and his wife came over to our to Heather's in my place to uh, confront me about it, and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed and I was angry and I, was, I remember bawling my eyes out and because my sin had been exposed and I really had no excuse and and like even if the truth is like even if she had never shown my letter to anybody else she still didn't deserve the way that I treated her that was that was not okay but it was the worst feeling being exposed you know can you relate to that. It was awful. Like, and, and the truth is, yeah, like I had no business treating her that way. I had no one to blame uh, but myself, and I learned that sin has consequences. My sinful choices have consequences. And, and, and you know, this is how friendships end. This is how people leave churches. In fact, their family did leave that church uh, shortly after, and I was totally powerless to stop them because I had done this terrible thing. Um, And it's like, what happens when it's your fault? What happens when you have wronged somebody and hurt them so badly and everybody knows what's happened and that it's your fault? What do you do? Do you hide? So that's kind of what's at the heart of this story that we read this morning, which is kind of a famous story that we call The Fall. Uh, and it's an appropriate place to begin this series that we begin today called OT Talks, Ideas Worth Spreading. So this series, just like the TED Talks, these stories are are important because they sort of teach us who we are and they help us to navigate life. But these stories, in some ways, because they're in the Old Testament, it's easy for us to moralize them and just sort of look for a lesson and that we apply to our lives. And it's not till we Look, not until we see these stories through the lens of Jesus, that we see that these stories are mysterious. And they, in fact, they only make sense in light of Jesus. In other words, what we're trying to do in this series called OT Talks, what we're trying to do is to to learn to lay down our moralism. We're trying to learn to read the whole Bible as Christian scripture and see good news in these hard stories. And so today, it just seems appropriate to begin at the beginning with this famous story of the fall, and just think of how in the world could there be good news? What do you do when, what do you do when your sin is exposed and all you want to do is hide? What good news is for you? Is there for you? And, and so, as uh, what I want to do is walk through this story under five headings uh, to really make sure we it makes sense to us. The first, the first heading is the creation, then the deception, then their decision, our corruption, and God's redemption. Okay, so those are the five movements we're we're moving through. And so we're going to begin with the creation. Okay, because I think there's something really beautiful for us to observe about God's design in creation. Because back in chapter one, okay, God had made the man and the woman in his image. It says that God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so you've got this man and woman They are equal image bearers of God. Neither of them has more of God's image. Neither of them has less of God's image. They are utterly equal. And that that means a couple of things, okay? Like that means, first of all, it means that they represent him as the presence of God on earth. And wherever Adam and Eve go, wherever the man and the woman go, it's like God is there. Okay? It's also important to know that they share God's purpose. They share his mission. Or his, like God has given them what's called the cultural mandate to go and be fruitful and multiply. In fact, we talk about this when we reform our, our faith families each year. Fruitfulness, which I mean is, is a thing of, is like innovation. It's improving things, creating flourishing in the world. But there's also multiplying. There's fruitfulness and multiplying. Multiplying is, is about growing the family, increasing, spreading the knowledge of God. And, and, and that's what we are made for to enjoy God as image bearers who are fruitful and multiplying. And, and, and that mission is something that we share, but it isn't always expressed in the same ways between different people, particularly between men and women, it turns out. Because back in chapter 2, before the woman was even made, uh, we read that God, uh, the Lord God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. Okay, that's chapter 2, verse 15. Then continues, um, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make, what? A helper corresponding to him. Now, just some important things to observe here about God's design in creation. It is important to observe that we are made for community. We're made to be in relationship. God says it is not good for the man to be alone. Notice, though, he doesn't say it is not good for the man to be unmarried. He's not saying it's not good for the man to be unmarried. There are people who will marry. Some people will not. Many people will not. And marriage is great. But this mission that God has for us to be fruitful and multiply doesn't require marriage, okay? It doesn't require marriage. We can be in community together, enjoy thriving, healthy community relationships without being married, and we can still be obedient to this cultural mandate. So that's really important. It's also important to observe that there are differences in how the man and the woman are going to go about this mission to be fruitful and multiply, okay? Because we've seen that before the woman was even made, God had put Adam into the garden to work it and to watch over it. Okay, that was the work that Adam was given to do. He was also given a command. This is yours. You're to enjoy it. Just not this one tree. Now the woman, I'm not saying that the woman doesn't have the same purpose, but it just, it appears that she's going to fulfill this purpose in different ways. Okay, she, because she is put as a, she's put there as a as a helper, as a, as a partner, as a co-laborer like a, as a colleague as a as a as one to help shoulder the load as one without whom the work can't get done and it seems that God's design in creation is that this is a place of freedom it's a place of abundance and flourishing this is a place where God rules the the earth with people at his side reigning with him in distinct kind of complementary ways and and it seems that creation is is a kingdom, okay? Creation is a kingdom. That this garden that God has built—it's important for us to get this. God has created a uh, God has created in creating the garden. He has created a kingdom, and the man and woman are designed to lead it and rule it with him in distinct and complementary ways. So let's continue moving from the creation now to the deception, because. What, we, we need to know something about this serpent character. First of all, let's observe this is not a talking snake, okay? There is not one English translation that uses the word snake, although that's a lot of our popular art um, portrays it that way. Many ancient cultures have this uh, serpent god figure who sort of represents chaos and evil, and he's the enemy of mankind. Like even the ancient Egyptians worshipped a serpent god. They believed that he protected them. And that's why you see uh, the pharaohs, like here in this picture, you see the pharaohs and they've got a serpent attached to their headdress because the serpent is a a symbol. And so this isn't the story of a silly little talking snake, okay? For uh, for all we know, what Adam and Eve are looking at here is maybe more like a dragon than a snake. In fact, later in Revelation 20, Sorry, in Revelation chapter 12 and in t- chapter 20, it tells us that this serpent and Satan are one and the same. So, so let's talk about his deception because his strategy is to begin by asking, well, did God really say? Has God really said? And, and, and he wants Eve to, to doubt that God meant what he said. Did God really say, and then he go, then he goes and he challenges it. It just it begins by questioning and then it goes he goes right to an outright lie. He says, "No, you will not certainly die." Then in verse five, of course, God knows you will be like him. He's moved from questioning to directly lying, and now he wants to persuade her that God is trying to withhold something good from her. And so to Adam and Eve, uh, Satan's approach, his deception is, hey, if you keep obeying God, you'll always be a servant. You're never going to know what you're capable of. But if you obey me, you get to be like God. You'll know what he knows. That's the deception. Uh, now, let's see the decision that Adam and Eve make. It's interesting to think, what did they think that they were doing? What was, what was the decision that they understood they were making in eating the fruit? Because they're face to face with the serpent, and it looks like Eve had misunderstood God's command because she tells the serpent in verse 3, we're not supposed to eat the fruit or even to touch it. Now, God didn't say that. But she wasn't there when God gave the instruction. So maybe she understood Adam, or maybe Adam didn't pass on the message correctly. But Adam is the truth bearer here. And, And while the serpent's tempting Eve, that's Adam's chance to say, uh, actually, guys, no, God told us not to. I was there. I heard him. Serpent, get lost. And he doesn't say that. He stands there silent. He's, he's there. He's, he's close enough that in verse 6, she could hand the fruit to him. And so when they ate the fruit, that was a bad decision, yes. But notice, when Eve said yes to the fruit, that was a choice to believe the serpent and disbelieve God. But when Adam said yes, that was a choice to obey his wife and disobey God. Okay? Like, in other words, Eve's was mainly a sin of unbelief, but Adam's was mainly a sin of disobedience. And those are not the same thing. Okay? Eve sinned, Adam sinned, but in my opinion, in my view, Adam's guilt is far worse than Eve's. And that matters because his sin broke the world and resulted in our corruption. So let's talk about our corruption next, because um, we need to understand what changed after this. So something's changed right away. Like they're suddenly their innocence is gone. They now they know that they're naked and they hide. Right? They hide. God finds them, and in verse twelve, Adam is blaming blaming Eve. Eve's blaming the serpent. And then what happens next is what theologians call the the curse. Where sin enters the world, you know, and 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 uh, there's this curse that's that is announced over us, um, but the curse affected each of them in different ways. Uh, the serpent, uh, the serpent's uh, curse is that he's going to go from being this mighty and wise and crafty creature uh, to being a, a ground dweller. And from now on, he's gonna he's gonna lick the dust. He's gonna be hated, and people are gonna be disgusted by him. And there's always gonna be hostility between the serpent and and his offspring and the offspring of the humans. And the woman's curse was was unique too, because her curse seems to mainly affect her part in multiplying. Okay, so childbirth now is horribly painful, and, and now. Uh, Her relationship with the man is horribly painful and she's his helper. And that role requires, it assumes that she trusts him, but the curse broke that. So she has this desire for him. She's, instead of being a partner now, he feels the need to rule her and she's going to crave his approval. That's how the curse will manifest in the woman. And the curse affects the man uniquely as well. The curse affected both the man and the woman in being fruitful and multiplying, but whereas it seems that whereas the curse seems mainly to affect the woman in terms of multiplying, it seems to mainly affect the man in terms of his fruitfulness. And so instead of being instead of his fruit and his instead of food being abundant and easy to find, now it's gonna be hard work. He's gonna bust his back in order to get food. You know, the earth is gonna fight him. It's gonna fight with weeds and thorns and his whole life is going to be this endless process of hard work until the day he dies. Fruitfulness is now cursed for the man. And so sin has ruined everything, you know? It's, it's, it's ruined our relationships with each other. It's ruined our relationships with the earth. It's ruined our relationship with God. It's ru- ru- ruined our relationships with ourselves. And what strikes me about the fall is that we have now an appetite for sin. And, and we live in fear of God's rejection. And that's just how it is now. But, you know, we need to see that as bad as it got between them, as bad as it got in the world, there was still hope. Because in, in, in verse 15, God makes a promise to the serpent. He says, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He's going to strike your head and you will strike his heel. So someday there's going to be this battle, okay? There's going to be this battle where a champion is going to rise up He's some kind of a descendant of Eve and he's going to be bruised but the serpent's head will end up being crushed. And and, you know, you read this passage and you you ask like, who is this champion? Who is this about? Well, I I bet you know. Why don't we say it together? Ready? One, two, three. Israel. Yeah, like who did you think I was going to say? Yes. Okay, imagine you're the generation wandering in the with Moses in the desert. You're the first ones to have this story written down. Um, Because up to now, it was the story that your grandparents shared with your parents around the campfire. Now they've shared it with you and now it's your job to share it with others. And so this has been your oral tradition, but now it's written down by Moses and now we know what it means. This story is about us. We are the ones that God has raised up to crush the serpent king Pharaoh. We saw it happen. We lived through the exodus. And so we are the ones that God now calls to be fruitful and multiply. And it's a warning. Like you see, you should have listened. So so let this be a lesson to you. We are warned. We're warned about disobedience. Okay, just as as they were kicked out of the garden, if we disobey God, we'll be kicked out of the land. All right, so it's a warning about disobedience. It's also a, a warning about playing with sin. Like it's not hard to see that. There's a message here, like behave, guys. You better you better straighten up. Don't listen to the voice of the devil cuz sin will ruin your life. It'll it'll curse and ruin everything. So don't do it. And so there are so many reasons why you can hear these lessons in this story that are important and true and valuable. And you know what? as true and as good and important as these lessons are, you don't need to be a Christian to believe any of that. You don't. You don't need to be a Christian to believe that uh, playing with sin is bad and that disobeying is bad. So we need to look at this story again, one more time in light of Jesus and see the gospel. Because in the garden, we, get, we just get glimpses of it. But Christ, in Christ, it makes sense. Because, you know, in the garden, the serpent is tamed by God, becomes a ground dweller. But on the cross, the serpent is conquered, yo. And some, he's conquered. And someday we learn that in the same way that Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, Satan is going to be banished. He's going to be sent into, he's going to be banished to a lake of fire forever. Forever. Okay. In the garden, after Adam and Eve disobeyed, yeah, you know, there was there was mercy, and God sacrifices an animal, and that was the price to cover their nakedness and shame. On the cross, God's son was the sacrifice. He's the price for covering our shame, and it's it's done. And that's why Paul can say about Christ that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? See Adam failed and 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 we have failed, and Jesus is the only one who didn't. He obeyed God, he went to the cross, and what has what went wrong under Adam and Eve has been made right through christ and look now that means that now we know what to do with our shame, now we know what to do when we are busted and when our sin is exposed, and when there is nowhere to hide. We know what to do with that, because in in Jesus, we see that we are secure enough. We don't need to fear God's rejection anymore, right? We don't need to fear God's rejection from God anymore because of Jesus. We also care so much about Jesus that we don't want to mess with sin anymore. So we're not gonna, we're not going to hide it. We're not going to cover it up. We're not going to run from him. We're going to bring it out into the open and, and leave it with him so that he can forgive us and heal us and we can be reconciled. And, and and guys, that is such good news because as long as you and I live, Satan will never stop tempting us to disobeying and disbelieving God. He will never let up. And But we know his voice. We know his voice. And now... We get a vote in what happens next. we don't actually have to fail, and temptation doesn't have to end in failure and shame when we hear his voice, we get a vote in what happens next now you you know that voice right you you know that voice did god did God really say be holy? has God really said that he loves you? has God really say that said that he forgives you? Has God really said that he forgives you? Did God really say that he's made you in his image? Has he really said that you are enough and you are important and you are beautiful? Has God really said love your enemies? Has God really said forgive one another? You know, what I, I really believe that what's going to save us in those moments is knowing that as, as broken as we are, As broken as the world is, and as surely as I would have failed in the garden, Jesus has succeeded. You are forgiven. You are free. You are new. And as we begin this study uh, through the Old Testament, that just seems like an idea worth spreading. Amen. Thank you for listening.